you. I'm Joel, and if you're joining us online, welcome to Heart City Church. We hope you'll be able to join us in person. Uh, it's time for us to open God's wonderful word. We return to the Emmaus Road. That's in Luke 24. We're going to read verses 13 to 35. I invite you to turn there. Uh, perhaps an illustration might help us to lean into our text, uh, maybe especially in light of the lovely violins we just heard. So, Emmy, do you know who uh, Joshua Bell is? Yes, she does. He's one of the greatest violinists in the world. He's actually from Indiana, a prodigy of the Hoosier State. Um, well, back in 2007, this musical virtuoso, he donned a baseball cap and went incognito into a Washington, D.C. subway, where he pulled out his 1713 Gibson Stradiovarius, and he began to perform. It was a Washington Post experiment asking the question, can Joshua Bell one of the nation's greatest musicians, cut through the fog of a D.C. rush hour. You can see it on YouTube. They picked actually a spot where the acoustics would be perfect. The music was incredible. But what is more incredible is that nearly everyone, hundreds and hundreds of people, simply walk right on by. Take no notice that someone amazing is right there in front of them. They ignore the face-to-face -face offer, front row seats to true beauty, to truth. Why? Because the fog is too thick. Folks are actually standing right nearby in line for lottery tickets. Oblivious to a $4 million musical instrument being played wonderfully just feet away by this wonderful stranger who has entered into their space. Welcome to Luke 24. We met two souls last week who were in a fog as they left their own nation's capital. So when a wonderful stranger entered into their space bringing unmatched beauty and truth, they didn't even recognize that it was the risen Lord Jesus. And friends, it may be too that you are rushing through the fog of life, maybe trying to leave past trauma behind you you don't want to face. Maybe you're in such a fog right now. You came here this morning with no real expectations of otherworldly glory entering in. Maybe the best day you can imagine right now is, is a bump in your bank account. Friends, don't settle for the fading fun, the fleeting glories that won't fill you up. They're beneath you. You're made in God's image. Sad soul, you are hardwired for glory. And your longings... They're heavenly homing beacons. And the most wonderful person to ever walk our earth is right here, if you have eyes to see him. So let's pray that the Spirit might blow the fog away, that might dissipate, that we might catch a glimpse of him this morning. Let's be sincere and go to him in prayer expectantly. Father God, our time is short and our need is so great. Will you give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we might right now gain an intimate knowledge of who you are. Enlighten the eyes of our hearts that we may know and understand the hope to which you've called us and the richness of your glorious inheritance in the saints. Grant that we might discover the immeasurable and unlimited greatness of your power, demonstrating in the working of your mighty strength through Christ when you raised him from the dead and seated him in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, and dominion, and every name in this age, and in the one to come. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now hear the word of our God from Luke 
chapter 24, starting in verse 13. Behold, that's in the Greek, by the way, they left it out. Behold, that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread, and blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Secular scholars call this Emmaus Road story a literary masterpiece, and that it is. But it is also a true event recorded by our God, delivered to you through Luke, to show us that the veil separating the supernatural and our natural world is paper thin. Paper thin. And this is a corrective to our culture that pollutes our atmosphere with a fog of lies, leaving us confused about this greater reality and the goal of humanity. What's that, Joel? It is to walk with our God and to anticipate his future feast. That's our goal, to walk and talk with our God and to anticipate his future feast. Last week, Emmaus showed our divine blindness is the cause of our sadness and our hopelessness in this world. This pair of disciples stood there looking sad, stopped in their tracks because They saw no hope in Christ's cross. 
Well, today the risen Lord is going to open the scriptures and then their eyes and bring these to joy and certain hope. I need to review our journey thus far. Some of you weren't here last week and others need a little review. We met these two individuals who are not singing the happy songs that we're singing before the sermon today. No, Cleopas and his fellow traveler, and I'm just going to make it his wife, Mary. Okay, he's actually someone at the cross. They were singing the blues. The playlist for the Emmaus road trip was The Thrill is Gone. Perhaps a death letter blues because they just got the news that the one they love had died. The love being Jesus. They were traumatized by his death that happened that fateful Friday just a few days ago. The new reality that they're trying to come to terms with was that their Lord was actually born under a bad sign destined to die on a cursed cross. Luke told us that Jesus had joined them then. But they were kept from seeing that the risen Christ was right there in front of their face. We see here, though, that Jesus draws near to his brokenhearted people. And he often enters in secretly. Did you know that? Why secretly, Joel? Why doesn't Jesus say to these two, Cheer up! It's me! I'm here! Back! Risen from the dead! Because Jesus wants them and he wants us to discover that the source of our sadness is the failing of our faith. The source of your sadness, friend, is the failing of your faith. That is why Jesus interrupts them by asking questions to see what they're talking about. To which Cleopas asks, are you like the only Jew who is oblivious to Friday's events? Which I know is really funny to us readers. It's like asking Neil Armstrong if he's the only American who didn't hear about the moon landing. I mean, really. Now, hope that as you're laughing at them, you're laughing at yourself, too. Because you and I are no different. And probably, as we rush through modern life at a far faster pace, more oblivious to where our Lord Jesus is working all around us. We're often missing Jesus, who is more present here now than he was in Luke 24. And yes, that's a separate sermon and a tease for you guys. Pique your interest. But the point here that Jesus wants us to see is that we need to slow down. Slow down. That's why he asks questions. Let me ask you, you sit here in worship services under sermons. Do you ever hear the questions Jesus brings to your heart, to your mind? Dear one, where is it that you're heading right now in your journey? Why do those things Why do those matters so occupy your time and your thoughts? Where's your heart right now? Did you leave it behind on the journey? What conversations are you sharing with those you love? Jesus wants us to slow down and stop so that the spiritual law of gravity can begin to work, letting all that is swirling around us begin to settle so we can begin to see clearly Because this actually sets the stage for the light bulb moment that changes everything. Perhaps you're where you're at, they're at right now. You've committed your life to Jesus. You remember making that commitment long ago. But this stage of your journey, it just doesn't seem like everything is working out. Everything's a swirl. If so, praise God, you're here right now and you're still committed to him. Like these two. I didn't note this last week, but I really admire their devotion. I do. Think about it. They're confessing allegiance 
to Jesus Christ, who is an executed criminal, a total, to a total stranger, or so they think, right? At a time of great opposition to Jesus. Remember, the 11 are right now hiding for fear of the Jews. These two have nothing to gain and much to lose by publicly denouncing their priests and their rulers, confessing that they had believed Jesus was their redeemer, even though it's clear to them they don't think it's true anymore. The kingdom of God mission is dead. The Jesus movement is over. I think that personal testimony says something, though it's also why they're so sad right now. Maybe you really get them. Have you ever found yourself wondering, is Christianity just a sham? Maybe the soundtrack of your life was like mine in the 20s, my 20s. I won't get fooled again. I still confessed Christ, but in my 20s, my soundtrack was Paul Simon's The Boxer when I left my home with my family. I was no more than a boy and I took up the company of strangers because Jesus was a stranger to me. I grew up under the false teachings of the health and wealth gospel of the 80s where faith in Jesus meant earthly success, a good life here, much like what Cleopas and his missus were believing. They went to the weekly synagogue and they heard their their teachers tell them, they opened up the scriptures and said, a military Messiah is coming who is going to defeat the Romans. And the glory to come is an independent Israel where each of you will sit on your own fig tree and your own vine. It'll be glorious under the new king's reign. They had no space for a suffering Messiah, for the passages that speak, for your homework. Go home and read Isaiah 52 through chapter 53. It speaks of the suffering servant who had become the lamb slain. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Cleopas and the missus had no category for this sort of Christ who came to pay for our sins and to die. So when Good Friday's cross came, They saw all their earthly dreams were shattered. These two were completely unprepared for Sunday, Easter Sunday and the resurrection glory. I totally get their sadness. Do you? They had hoped in the kingdom of God movement, but not anymore. In my 20s, I knew the church's message to be a big fat lie, even though I still believed in Jesus, my own personal Jesus. And that's a Johnny Cash version, not Dave Heshmode, okay? I walked away from Jerusalem, feeling hopeless, singing the blues. I know a lot of them. What Jesus did for me was what he did for these two one day. When I was challenged by someone about what the Bible taught about God, Jesus, speaking through someone else, said to me, Joel, oh foolish and slow of heart, to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Notice Jesus says three times, all, all. You need a whole Bible, my friends, to be a whole Christ follower. 
Cleopas, Joel, you don't truly know me because you don't know your Bible. That's what Jesus was teaching me. You're derailed by life's sufferings because you never really read Jesus' game plan. The whole Old Testament was pointing to the death and resurrection of the Son of God. You were busy following your own personal Jesus, just like so many others. And choosing second best left me all alone and feeling unknown, as the song says. Do you guys see why I make such a big deal about you learning your Bible for yourself? Do you want to know, truly know Christ, so that you can stand firm in the trials knowing he's there? Do you? We must have the word steeped in our brains and buried in our hearts. That's why we have a verse to know this month. Let's all say Romans 10.9 together. You'll find it in your bulletin. Let's confess together. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Bury that in your heart because that there is a victory cry when you're in a dark day. Let that settle into your soul. Jesus wants you to take in how his resurrection, his lordship over death, is your certain hope in this world. I'm actually glad Cash recorded personal Jesus as a criticism to all the shysters in the pulpit in his day. Johnny's right. Friends, don't trust your pastor to know your Bible for you. Don't trust your pastor to know your Bible for you. Cleopas sat in many synagogues under the very teachers who killed Christ. And there are unconverted pastors out there today who are doing the same every single Sunday morning. I got this Bible here 15 years ago. My wife thought I forgot my Bible this morning. She brought it under here. Because my heart began to burn when I began to discover Jesus in these pages. I love this Bible. I've been through this Bible so many times, almost every page. Survived a cat attack. That's a separate... I won't start with the cat stuff today. Actually, I don't use this to preach anymore because uh, some kind lady once saw this shabby-looking book. And she felt so far sorry for me like I was some kind of poor vagabond preacher. The last time I went to the port, <laughs> she gave me a brand new Bible. I said, here you go. <laughs> Maybe I should actually do that and get more Bibles. Um, Yes, this Bible's in bad shape. And it gets worse every year. But my soul has never been in better shape because I'm in it all the time. Every morning I open this Bible up. I'll confess my heart doesn't always burn when I read the scriptures. But I still get on my knees before I do and I ask expectantly, Lord, show me my Savior and give me something that'll make me happy before I go out there into the world. Give me something that will make me happy. Now, that was a long, extended introduction, but the trip to Emmaus lasted about two hours, so I have plenty of time with you guys here, so no, I'm just kidding. I'm going to move through my three points, my three headings rather quickly, the first being invitation, invitation, verses 28, 29, so they drew near to the village to where they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When this sermon's over, we're going to sing a song, Abide With Me, where the writer reflects on what it must have been like to be these two. 
They're walking down the road, and now the road is passing by their village. They see their home. It's getting cold. It's getting dark. And the stranger continues to walk on. And they don't want this trip to end. And they're thinking, nobody ever spoke like this man before. And so they start pleading. Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide. The darkness deepens, Lord, with me abide. When other helpers fail and comforts flee. Help of the helpless, oh, abide with me. I hope you hear their desperation. Yes, concern that this stranger will head off into the dangerous dark road, right? But the Greek word here is parabiazomai. And I know you're not going to remember that, but it's two words scrunched together, two separate ideas. It's a rare, strong verb in the Greek meant to compel with force. They're begging him fiercely. They're pleading. Because Jesus is ready to keep walking. I'm not sure if he acted conveys the right sense here. Leon Morris writes, Had they not pressed him to stay, there is no reason for thinking he would have done so. We must not interpret the words as pointing to a piece of play acting. Without the invitation, he would not have stayed. Jesus was saying if they were content with him remaining a stranger, or if they truly desired to know him. You ever gotten an invitation from someone, you know, and you can just tell, perhaps by their tone or their distractedness, they're not really interested in you coming over and being taken company there? How do you feel about half-hearted invitations? You ever gotten one? I have. Jesus won't stay where he's not welcome. He abides in no place where he's going to remain a stranger. I nearly chose a Christmas song today, actually. Uh, Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let earth receive its king. Let every heart prepare him room. My not yet Christian friend, Will the Lord Jesus remain a stranger to you? All your king requires is a sincere invitation. A sincere invitation. Don't you feel your need for him? Jesus never turns down a heart that prepares him room. And he wants to make blessings flow to you far as the curse has impacted your life. Ryle says, Christ does not always force his gifts on us unsought and unsolicited. He loves to draw out our desires and to compel us to exercise our spiritual affections by waiting for our prayers. By waiting for our prayers. We have another joint prayer meeting today at 3.30. This is the place to be this afternoon. This is the place to be. I'm excited about this, especially as I see Jesus has been proving his love for us recently. Everyone here has the privilege of participating, inviting Jesus to abide right here. We have the unique opportunity to make Heart City Church a house of prayer, which doesn't happen much in America. <laughs> Look at all the other churches throughout all the rest of the world and throughout time. We want to gain a reputation as a place where Jesus' presence is felt. We want the same for our mother church and other churches in this area. We want our community to know that Christ is no stranger. We want our friends our family members, lost loved ones, to have that light bulb moment, don't we? Don't we? At our prayer meeting, we're going to be pleading that Jesus will abide with us.
We're inviting him in. And notice that invitation precedes illumination, our second point, verses 30 to 32. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? I'd love to have been at this scene. Now, this is not likely the Lord's Supper. This is just a typical Jewish evening meal. There is no cup here. But Luke actually uses the same language he uses for the Lord's Supper. But we need to see that this meal in Luke 24 is bigger than the meal of Luke 22. It's bigger. Why? Because this is the moment in Luke's gospel where the risen Lord Jesus makes his appearance. Why does Jesus wait till this meal to open their eyes? I think the opening of the eyes is the clue here. Rex read it earlier. Remember that first ever meal in human history? Eyes were opened and it was not for good. We read earlier from Genesis 3 how the serpent first challenged God's word and then invited Adam and Eve to eat the forbidden fruit. Do you see what's happening here? At the first meal, sinful man said, you are not my provider. And she took, ate, and gave it. And eyes were opened to see humanity now hijacked. At this meal, the sinless man says, I am your provider. And he blessed, broke, and gave it, and their eyes were opened to see humanity healed. Humanity healed in the risen Christ. The risen Christ is the start of the new humanity, and he hosts the first meal of the new creation right here in Luke 24. Some say that their eyes were opened because they saw his nail-pierced hand when he broke the bread, maybe. Or maybe Jesus opens their eyes because this is the first meal of the new creation. He shows in this meal he has come to reverse the curse, to make his blessings flow as far as it can be found to all that's wrong in our world. Do you see anything wrong in our world? This, these two realize that they have been also walking and talking with their God in the cool of the day. And he has now hosted a feast, a taste of the future from that forbidden menu. As an aside, This had to be shocking even before their eyes were opened. You ever invite anybody over for dinner and they arrive and immediately move over to the table, you know, and they play host at your place? I mean, he took over like he was the host. And then they see why. It was the moment of illumination. The risen Christ appears and then is gone. And they say, did not our hearts burn with us on the road when he opened to us the God's word? Friends, there is a good heartburn that comes after broken bread. There's a good heartburn that comes after broken bread. And this is a joy that they did not have before. And notice it doesn't even fade after Christ disappears. There's no sadness. Why? Because they have new eyes to see that Jesus is near even when you don't see him. Friends, Jesus is near. He's nearer to you than your nearest neighbor right now. Our final heading is affirmation. Affirmation. Remember, they left Jerusalem with all their fellow Christ followers still in a fog there. They remember denying the woman's testimony from the start of this chapter. You know any Christians who are still in a fog right now? 
By that I mean they don't believe that the risen Christ is showing up in our world. Some of you are going to leave here and you're going to be heading home to a house of doubters. I know this. Maybe it's because they watch too much Fox or CNN News or they're constantly posting every single tragedy they see on social media. They just live in that world. Maybe they've had a really, really rough life. Maybe they've been abused, neglected, adverse childhood situations. (laughs) You hear the stories at the hospital. Maybe they've done it to others. They know well just how dark this world is that we walk in. Notice they're still walking in the darkness of this world. Literally, they're heading back in the darkness. The Romans are still in power, crucifying innocent men. The church is run by shysters right now. They have all the issues of our day, poverty, crime, death. Cleopas and his wife are walking in darkness. But guess what? They're no longer in a fog. In fact, they came in the day sad And now they're walking in the darkness with great joy in their hearts because they've seen something like Moses saw, a bush that doesn't burn. They saw God stepping into their world and they got the message. They realized that Jesus is so near. He can be as near as in your dining room with you. (laughs) The risen Christ is at work in their world. Leland Riken called their journey from Jerusalem to Emmaus the journey from unbelief to faith. And now look what they're doing. They're retracing their steps. They're going back over their old history. All the darkness there. Some of us are afraid to do that, I know. You might not be ready for that. But you need to see that right now where you're at, Jesus has been with you every step of the way through that darkness. You may not have known it. You may not have realized it. If you're afraid right now to walk through that past, here's your homework. Wake up tomorrow, find a quiet place where you can be alone, and read Psalm 139, a psalm that shows you just how near God is. And after you read it, I just want you to take some deep breaths and see that each and every breath is an affirmation that God loves you and has a purpose for you on this world right now. And then, ask God to give you spiritual eyes to see his nearness as you prepare to head off into your day. Ask him to help him to see his watch care of you and also how he's watching over others, hurting people all around you, folks who are completely oblivious. Start looking. For those of us who might feel led by the Spirit to actually take that dark walk back through your history, I encourage you also to find some time to sit in God's presence and ask him to give you eyes to see where Jesus was at on your journey. Then ask him to show you how you can use your past the ways as ways that God has actually equipped you for your future journey so that you can go out and be a blessing to others and ask God to show you also where he is at work in the world and then expect him to show up. Expect him to show up. When your eyes are open, when God shows up in perhaps the most mundane place, rejoice and say, thank you for my new vision system. I can see. I see Jesus. And marvel that Jesus shows up in unexpected places. And then as we conclude here, go and share that good news with a brother or sister like we see these these two doing. Now, I'm not encouraging you to show up at my house in the middle of the night. Actually, you're allowed to go to Mike and Tammy's house. Show up in the middle of the night. 
They'll leave the light on for you. Just kidding, Mike. Be bold and share how you saw Jesus show up in your life. It would take some boldness for these two, right? Walking seven miles in the darkness to go knock on the door of Doubting Castle. Sure, they're your friends. Sure, you have the greatest news in the whole world. But waking them up in the middle of the night to news they've already rejected. I imagine Jamie and myself doing this. And I'm impetuous enough that I could do it. If I saw Jesus, I'm going to let everybody know. And Jamie would say, you can tell them, Joel. I'll let you tell them, but let me knock on the door. We're not going to wake up the whole neighborhood here. Maybe Cleopas' wife did the same. Cleopas is already, I'm going to tell the story and all. And the door swings open. Everybody says, so glad you're here. We've got good news for you. Peter, seeing the risen Christ. I can imagine Cleopas, ah, they stole my thunder. Tell them my news. He got over it pretty quick, right? Because this was just further affirmation that God's at work in the world. I need to close. Let's pray for some heartburn, friends. Let's pray for eyes to see where Jesus is at work, even in those most unexpected places, so we can have a lot of affirmations between us, and we can have some celebrations. Maybe we'll even get started a few angel parties upstairs. How about that? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. (laughs) Thank you for loving us and bringing us here. Thank you for the good things you've been doing in our lives. We ask and pray now we will see where you're at work in the world. We ask you help us to see where Jesus is at work. Give us your spirit that we may in fact go out and do mattering things during this brief little moment we have on this world. And we thank you for invitation to the great feast which is to come. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.